The U.S. Secretary of Education misquotes President Ronald Reagan, partnering with the government to get our kids an education. The soundbite that will say did not go so well. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Also ahead, stepping up school safety. The state adding school resource officers to its hallways after a tragedy that took place as part of our ongoing conversation about school violence. And language justice. Have you heard about this one? Don't bother with English. It is rooted in racism. Feel free to learn any language you'd like, and the taxpayers will pay for it in your public school. Just where that could be happening is still ahead. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're going to get to those stories and more in a moment. But first, if you are new to the show, welcome to Educate. We're here to take a deep dive into the central issues of education, providing criticism and positive solutions to problems. We are also showing you ways to get involved, to show up, to stand up and speak up on behalf of your kids. My name is Liz Collin. I'll be your host here for the next hour. I'm a Minnesota journalist, a wife, a mom, and happy to be with you as we navigate this crazy world of education together. But it doesn't have to be so complicated. We are here to help. So with that, our first story today, President Biden's education secretary taking some heat after misquoting a famous line from President Ronald Reagan. Listen. As uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's, there are resources there. There's technical assistance there. And there's a playbook that could support the work you're doing. Count on us as a partner in this. That was U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona recently misquoting former President Ronald Reagan while pushing for schools to view the federal government as a partner. In case anyone was wondering, this is what President Reagan actually said in that famous speech. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So again, that was President Reagan's actual quote from a 1986 press conference where he emphasized how the federal government can be inefficient and rather than helping, it can cause harm instead. So the comments were made on Monday and have obviously gone viral. Uh, joining us to make some sense, the things that all too often make no sense at all. Uh, we want to welcome Joe Wolverton to the show, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar and head of a dedicated think tank focused on promoting and preserving the Constitution of the United States. Joe Wolverton is an author and educator himself. Welcome back to the show, Joe. How are you? I'm so good, Liz. Thank you so much for having me again. Absolutely. I, I want to just just ask you, what do you make of this? Is just another example here of the, the sad state of affairs, it seems, facing our, our educate, education system? Yeah, well, of course, you know, there's so much wrong with it. The first thing is that it's just completely inaccurate. But the second <laughs> thing is that in his brain, he genuinely is so disconnected from reality that he thinks that Ronald Reagan would say that that Ronald Reagan would be promoting the federal government as some partner. And it's just baffling. It's not enough that he misquotes him, which I mean, in today's classroom, I don't think he would get in trouble because the teacher would have to, you know, in order to qualify for federal funds would have to take into consideration a thousand different uh, aspects of his personality and his family background. And he would probably still be given an A for trying ever so hard. And and if he spelled a word wrong, it'd be OK because he's 
Hispanic and, you know, it'd be on and on and on with the reasons why, but, and so it just all comes together in this sort of perfect storm of ignorance where he misquotes president Reagan thinks president Reagan would say that. And then of course, to him, that's fine because that's the sort of thing that passes for for excellence in today's you know schoolroom. So, and I, I'm wondering too: Do people find this uh, comforting? You know, I, I'm hoping that there's some critical thinking left after the debacle, which I feel like people, uh, for the most part, think it was uh, of COVID, and and when we really saw the government involved in our in our schools on a scale uh, unlike anything before. But are people thinking this is actually a comforting message to have more government control? I don't I don't know anyone who thinks it's a more comforting message. The problem is, is that there's, you know, this dissonance within ourselves as well. We don't want the government involved, but we want, uh, you know, better resources. We want more computers. We want teachers to receive more pay. We want better uh you know better equipment on the playground we want better equipment for the sports teams and and there always is you know the government standing there with this carrot and stick saying you know we're here to help here just take this you know take this money and of course as they say with shekels come shackles and when the government hands you money the government also requires you to adopt its curriculum, you know, standards and that sort of thing. And so even those of us who would say, no, we don't want government involved anymore at all, also say at other times, well, we want all these things and the federal government is the the giver of the goodies. And so we sort of allow it to have more control. But and so it's it's a little bit our fault as well that we we want the things and the government is where we get the things. And so that's, uh, like I say, it's a little bit our fault as well. I don't, we don't want government involved, but we do want government involved, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, I, I was reading from a KATU article more about this, but uh, just about some past comments uh, that the education secretary has made sparking controversy. Uh, it says with several public remarks in recent months, in September, he incited outrage while discussing parents speaking out at school board meetings uh, during an interview with the Associated Press. He said, I respect differences of opinion. Uh, I don't have too much respect for people that are misbehaving in public and then acting as if they know what's right for kids. Uh, he claimed at the time he was never he has never seen education in its current state, declaring there was once civility. Uh, we could disagree, he said. We could have healthy conversations around what's best for our kids. Uh, so he seems to be, uh, you know, referring to some, some heated debates we've obviously seen at, at school board meetings. Uh, but, but frankly, I, I think for the most part, it has been civil from, from one side and it's perhaps the other <laughs> that, uh, that we see that from. No, that's absolutely correct. And when he, it just always makes me chuckle when people say things like that, like, I don't have much respect for people that are misbehaving in public said no founding father ever, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, Good grief. It's so it's so good. These guys like him weren't around in 1776 or we would have the queen on our money today. You know what I mean? It's like this guy with his don't act up. Yeah, I'm going to act up when you're, you know, showing eight year olds how to use condoms. I'm going to act right. up a little bit about that, you know, and his thing about uh, people who who claim they know how to. What is it? The uh, claim they know how acting as if they know it's right for kids. Right. For, for their kids. 
right not acting they do know what's right for the kids because they're their kids yeah i think that that's a quite that's quite telling that that entire statement and then these these parents we know are labeled as domestic terrorists and you know we kind of see the education secretary uh doubling down on that for sure i know we're going to talk about um, coming up next, 300 new school uh, resource officers that have been placed in schools across uh, Tennessee, your state, uh, since lawmakers approved uh, funding for SROs. So we're going to talk more about school safety. And this comes at a, after a horrific uh, murder that essentially took place in, in a public school this week. So more to talk about there. But but thank you, Joe, very much for, for holding on. We'll, we'll get to that story coming up. And you are listening to Educate with Liz Collin. This show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. And for more on this show, head to thenewamerican.com slash educate. We'll be right back. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much of in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men, and strong women. But what does it mean for us in today's world? Is it even relevant? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer, available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. Oh, honey, it's great protein. Don't be picky. Eat your crickets. Many are following the lead of the United Nations to replace your meat diet with an insect diet. It's an all-out war on meat, farmers and ranchers. Don't let new green policies place controls on your life and overall freedoms. It's time to get us out of the UN. Go to JBS.org or call 800-JBS-USA-1. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. And once again, joined by Joe Wolverton for this segment as we discuss this next story. More than 300 new school resource officers uh, have been placed in schools across Tennessee since lawmakers approved funding to make SROs available for every public school following just that that horrible, uh, deadly shooting at the Covenant School in, in Nashville. But of the $230 million, $140 $140 million is allocated specifically for school resource officers, $54 million for school security upgrades, $30 million for Homeland Security agents to coordinate school safety responses, and $8 million for school-based behavioral health staff. This is all coming from the Tennessean. Uh, I believe that uh, that story and accompanying the funding lawmakers established new requirements for schools to lock exterior doors when students are present and conduct annual incident command and bus safety drills, in addition to already required uh, intruder drills that are playing out uh, in in classrooms al- already. But again, uh, we have Joe Wolverton on the show, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar and head of a dedicated think tank focused on promoting and preserving the Constitution of the United States. But this is a 
uh, a school shooting that no doubt uh, rocked the state uh, where you live, Joe. Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, I mean, it was everywhere. And of course, it is horrific and tragic and and unthinkable that, you you know, you drop your child off in the morning and that's the last time you ever see that child. And, and uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things that literally everybody is affected by in some way, you know, whether it's it's your child or a child of a friend or or you just worry about the, the state of children who knowing and, and being a part of that. I can't imagine being in that school and, and surviving the shooting and then and then going back there. I can't imagine the the the, the PTSD that would be caused in a in a child. And it, it's terrifying. It really is terrifying. What do you make then of these moves um, at, at the Capitol and, and, and more funding to, to go to things like a, a stepped up you know, police presence in in schools across Tennessee? Uh, you know, Liz, it's to me, it's like as if we heard that there was someone running around poisoning the food at the school cafeteria. So we decided to hire more doctors to be to treat the, the kids that were poisoned. I, I don't this isn't this is to me, this is putting the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff rather than building a a guardrail along the side of the road, you know, mm-hmm. and and I it's obviously the police officers having that presence is is fine. It's just that you just never know, first of all, what you're going to get. And second of all, the. I think it's so much to do with the mentality, Liz. I mean, we're turning these schools. I mean, already from the outside, they're, they're, they look like prisons. And and now we're turning them on the inside to look like prisons. <laughs> and what does it do to a child's mind, you know? Yeah, I think that, that that's a great point. You know, and in, in Minnesota, it's it's kind of been the opposite here. They've uh, pulled out um, their school resource officers for the most part, uh, basically a change in the law that left a gray area for officers to do their jobs in schools. Um, and then they, you know, could be opened up for some sort of uh, prosecution in some way if they have their hands on kids. So you had many police departments uh, pull back and and. Uh, you know, get out of schools, but but you're right. It does seem like more of a, a band-aid approach and not taking a look at at what uh, really needs to to change. Um, you know, I and also this comes this news comes on on the week where this uh, this horrific uh, story out of North Carolina: a 15 year old student stabbed to death, 16 year old seriously injured. Um, which is this video was was everywhere uh, this week. It happened at Southeast Raleigh High School in in North Carolina, and this was a, a freshman that that was killed. And basically, it happened on on camera. I bet there were twenty kids recording this stabbing uh, that transpired inside a, a high school. It is troubling on on so many levels. Yeah, I, I just um, it's one of those things, though, Liz. When you you're sending your your kids to school where you know there's even the the slightest possibility of violence but also you're sending them to spend their time you know among kids you don't know you know you don't know what type of kid is at the school with your child and and you have these things happen i've seen it when i was a teacher i 
I remember a bunch of students coming into my classroom and and just freaked out. I mean, like girls crying and people screaming and I and I, I you know, I asked them what was wrong. And they said, oh, this this new kid that came into the school, uh, Josh, you know, this kid, Josh actually touched his backpack with his foot. And this kid reached under and pulled a knife out of his backpack. Hmm. And I I was thinking to myself, good grief. You know, this could have gone so far south so quickly. I mean, fortunately, the kid didn't actually do anything, but it just makes you think, you know, you have no idea. No, no parent would just would do that. You know, every I remember growing up, my mom would always say, well, I can't let that kid come over until I know his family. You know, you just can't have people over. But yet the next day I'd be at school with a thousand kids she didn't know at all. And so it's it's a very sort of it's a crazy thing that we're doing where we're allowing children to just be thrown together. And it literally is like prison. You know, you take someone who's, you know, you, you have no idea who you're throwing them in there with just general population, just throw them in. And and of course, it does like prison, you know, being a lawyer. I saw so many times I had clients that went to prison for relatively minor things, you know, nonviolent acts. And within two weeks, you wouldn't recognize that guy because of what he's seen and what he, you know, the atmosphere that he lives in. So it's it's doing a, it's doing a job to our children. That's for sure. Generationally, Liz, generation after generation. Yeah. And they kind of become desensitized to, to this, you know, white white noise in a way. Again, we're talking to uh, Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar and head of dedicated think tank focused on promoting and preserving the Constitution of the United States. Most importantly here, he is a, an educator himself, an author as, as well, but this ongoing conversation we seem to have about school violence. Um, I'm hoping to, I, the, our next segment, I, I want to just um, get your thoughts on some statistics, as I believe there's a, it's been another record year for school shootings um, a, after last year was already a record, and what else is happening in the classroom to talk about that. And uh, also just the reaction to this story in North Carolina, I feel like, is uh, is quite telling as well. So we'll continue the conversation here on Educate. Uh, we will be right back with all of that. But first, leftist propaganda, endless pronouns, critical race theory, sexually explicit books accessible to minors, and more. Our public education system, it seems, is a complete mess That's why you should consider Freedom Project Academy. They have perfected online learning, offering live, on-demand, and homeschool courses for K-12. Freedom Project Academy was built on Judeo-Christian values and classical curriculum. Visit freedomforschool.com. That's freedom, F-O-R, school.com, to request your free information packet. We can't afford to hand over another generation to the left, so take back your child's education. Once again, visit freedomforschool.com. That is freedom, F-O-R, school.com. Again, more on school violence with Joe Wolverton when we come back here on Educate. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Joining us to make some sense of of school violence, if that is even possible, it seems like uh, we get 
it just gets more horrific, the, the headlines every day from, from everything that, that is happening. But again, we are joined by Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar uh, and an educator himself, kind of sharing some of his own some of his own sad stories that that uh, ha- have played out in his his classroom. But I wanted to see um, your, your thoughts on this. I just thought these these statistics are so startling, uh, Joe. There have been 77 school shootings in the U.S. so far this year as of uh, November 17th, so very recent statistics. 27 of those were on college campuses. The remaining 50 were on K-12 through school grounds, and the incidents have, have left at least 34 people dead and more than 85 injured. And a, this was a, a CNN analysis, but they were uh, compiled by the Gun Violence Archive, Education Week, and Everytown for, for Gun Safety. Um, just, just your thoughts hearing those, those numbers, it's, uh, it's just scary. Yeah, Liz, I think too often <laughs> we focus on the shooting. When we say a school shooting, we talk about the shooting. We don't talk enough about the school. Um, those those all happened at public and private schools. None, there was no homeschool shooting. And the thing that I'm reminded of is what happens in the aftermath? You know, I, I when we were talking about the North Carolina thing and I'd been following it and reading up about it and, you know, they closed the school for a day and then everybody's back. And I'm like, right. You know, what would happen? And, and what, what motivation does the school district have to change anything at all? They have no motivation because how many, imagine what would happen, Liz, is if the day after that, stabbing nobody showed up at that school district nobody showed up parents loved their kids enough said you know what i'm not sending you into a combat zone when you're 14 uh i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna make the sacrifices necessary you know freedom project like you know you're talking about or whatever it takes i'm gonna make the sacrifices necessary to keep you out of that war zone what would then the school district would be required to sort of compete to think of how we can attract these people back because there go you know there goes all that money there go you know the eight administrators per every one student those people are losing their jobs that would make a difference but the fact that the next day everybody's back all they have to do is just you know well, we're going to have a, a resource or a, uh, what do you call it? A mental health specialist ready for you. If you want to talk to someone, Yeah, the, counselors da- are available. the damage is done. The damage is done. What am I going to say? Why is mommy dropping me off here where someone was murdered yesterday? That yeah, it just, it's, it's baffling Liz. It really is. That's uh, absolutely. And and this was it was in the article, too, um, about the this incident at Southeast Raleigh High School in North Carolina. As you're mentioning, you know, the, the school be, being closed just just one day. Uh, but family and friends of the boy who was stabbed to death, they told this television station, uh, W.R.A.L., that uh, the, the mom said that this this boy was bullied, uh, he bullied the suspect. And this was self-defense. Um so that was, you know, this is normalizing this in a way that, you know, you, I guess you allow your child to then bring a knife to school. I mean, the you have a, and you have a bunch of kids. I mean, that can't be ignored here. I don't think the kids standing around cheering it and recording it. 
Uh, how do you even talk to your kids about about something like this if it would you know pop up on on the nightly news, which certainly it did uh, all across the country uh, this week? I you know you just have the conversation. I, I think how do you talk to your kids, Liz? That right there is the answer to most of these questions. I mean, I know myself, and I you know I grew up. I went to high school in the in the eighties, the late eighties, and. And uh, when I got home, you know, uh, neither of my parents were home. They were both at work. And when they got home, the question, you know, how did school go? Fine. Okay. Dinner. Did you do your homework? Yes. Bed. Rinse and repeat. There wasn't a lot of, hey, what, you know, what happened at school? You know, long conversations with your kids. That would go a long way, Liz, toward helping a lot of this, you know, what do you see? What are your classmates? Who's struggling? Why are they struggling? Do you see bullying? What's being done about it? How are the teachers? You know, there's so many things that could be solved. If we did what you asked me, you know, how do you talk to your kids about it rather than saying, well, I hope the school is offering some mental health professionals to help with all this trauma. And you see that I saw in the article people saying that these kids have gone through such trauma. They'd better provide some sort of counselor. Again, you know, as the immortal Taylor Swift said, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes, y'all. This is not (laughs) this ain't something that we fix with a mental health professional. Mm. We can't just keep dropping them off at war zones and wondering why they have PTSD. It just come on. Let's let's put our heads together and think of something better to do for these kids that that matter so much. And you see so, so much of that. I'm glad you speak the, the lingo of, of the kids, by the way, Joe. That is uh, that is, that's a good good thing. Uh, again, talking to Joe Wolf. That's that's very good. Um, again, talking to Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar about about school violence. But so many companies now have have kind of started these security companies, and and you see them presenting even at school board meetings um, and trying to to sign on to to deter things um, that way. But it, it is a sad state of affairs when that's that. But that that to me, it seems that that's what schools think they need to do. You know, security, security, security. Uh, when we really have um, more of a problem uh, at home, you know, school behavior, all of the things that that need to be addressed, it's, it seems first. Well, it's that there's a very famous Spanish proverb that a uh, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of priest. <laughs> and I think that's the same. An ounce of mother is worth a, a pound of mental health professional. It, um, you, you know, you talk about these security companies i did an article on those uh, a couple years ago because they'll offer these surveillance equipment free and the software and everything free to these school districts and the school districts of course are yeah gobbling it up now we've got cameras in every hall and camera and they're like how is it free well first of all it's free because homeland security gives a grant and second it's free because then the security company sells the data to third parties and so you've got these these information on these kids popping up all over the dark web, images of children that are available to these perverts that troll the dark web, and nobody does anything about it. It's just like, oh, free security system at school? Well, yes, sign me up. It's always a wake-up call talking to you, Joe. I must, it's I the, must it's, say. What do I call I call it the uh, the military educational complex is what it is. Mm. It, it is so sad, too. I mean, you know, we obviously had tornado drills in the Midwest, and that was the extent of things gr- growing up 
uh, for for me. But that that's something my you know my son has had to grow up grow up with an active shooter drill and and whatnot. And it and it's hard to even wrap your head around um, the fact that that's what's happening with these uh, little kids from the time they're in in preschool at this point in, in public schools and, and private schools for that matter. Well, and imagine you grow up with active shooter drills and you come home and you uh, become an active shooter on a game yourself. Right. What does that do to your mind? Well, we are going to switch gears here uh, to one of your favorite subjects, from what I understand, uh, language justice. (laughs) (laughs) I really actually thought this was an article out of The Onion, I'm going to be quite honest, uh, Joe. So we're going to talk about that again as we continue this conversation with Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar and head of a dedicated think tank focused on promoting and preserving the Constitution of the United States. But yes, language justice Uh, a new policy out of the Mile High City. So stay tuned for that. Again, this show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. For more on the show, visit thenewamerican.com slash educate. I'm Liz Collin. We'll be right back. The New American Magazine powers The Educate Show, featuring in-depth articles and news analysis, culture, and politics. The New American can arrive on your doorstep bi-weekly in a beautifully published physical copy or digitally on their new mobile app. Bring yourself up to speed with intelligent coverage from a constitutional perspective. Now for a limited time, visit thenewamerican.com educate25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com educate25. Are you fed up with where our nation is headed? Here at the John Birch Society, we know how to fix a reckless, corrupt, and out-of-control government. It starts with patriots like you. We believe the only way to liberty and national sovereignty is to not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adhere to them. The Constitution is America's only solution. Join the John Birch Society today. Visit us at jbs.org. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin, once again joined by Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar. And he's got a lot to say on this uh, next topic, language justice. So this is out of the New American. There's a new policy out of the Mile High City that's making some wonder just what it's high on. That is a great lead line, by the way. Uh, After all, the initiative called language justice could conceivably turn the whole country into Tower of Babel, as one commentator Put it so so this is actually even hard to explain I, I i believe this is real uh but the denver school district is among the first in the country to adopt a language justice policy as a long-term goal so the district would encourage non-english speaking students to be able to use their native language to learn as opposed to being educated in english which advocates say is oppressive and rooted in racism obviously uh, so, so Denver schools uh, had about 90,000 students in 2022. This article from Just the News uh, says with 35,000 multilingual learners with home languages other than English. So the district has 200 languages spoken across the district with Spanish as the home language for the majority of those. Uh, this is wild, Joe. As I said, I, I found this even hard, hard to believe, but I guess nothing is nowadays. But, but what are your thoughts about, about language justice? 
You know, Liz, I had personal experience with this, not as an educator, but I, I lived in England in 2008, 2009, practicing law. And uh, I would often, you know, come into contact with people just, you know, out to eat and just at the store and stuff. And people would be fascinated that there was an American walking around in town. And, and so I'd often get asked to speak at schools in, uh, in and around. The, I lived in a little town called Ely in Cambridge and uh, near Cambridge. And then, so I would get asked to speak at these schools, these little English, you know, elementary and high schools. And I remember the first time that I went to one to speak, I, I was, you know, at the front of the, you know, the auditorium there. And, and they, I, I was to speak about, you know, my background, but then they wanted to do a Q and A. And I, I noticed at the back of the room, there were just, gosh, it had to be, I don't know, five or six adults standing there on their phones and stuff. And, and at the end of the presentation, I asked the headmistress, I said, um, what's, what's all that about? What are those people at the back? She's like, oh, those are the translators. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, well, the law in England is every child gets to learn in his own language. He doesn't have to learn in English because that's the language of colonizers and and every child should be allowed to learn. And I said, how many languages? She's like, well, we've got Polish, Turkish, Arabic, uh, Russian. Um, I can't remember the other ones, but the, um, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. Anyway, there were like five or six or seven different. Wow. And the and the translators weren't translating, Liz. They were just standing at the back on their phone. And if the kids would come up and ask them something, then they would say something you know they would translate i mean we would assume they'd translate i have no idea but they all got paid handsomely from the british government which got paid handsomely from the 67 percent income tax and so yeah i've actually lived seeing this language justice where every kid gets to learn in his own language and instantly creating a second class citizenship instantly Right. Because you're not going to speak English. We're not going to require you to speak English. And this is an English speaking country. So you're instantly going to be other and that's going to work on you the rest of your life. And then we wonder how we get the sort of violence that we get in England just over this past you know, week. We saw the violence in London. And so it's like this is what happens. Wow, that is that is a fascinating story, and there are just so many questions here. How this would would even work, and and, and again, you have to go back to taxpayers fo- footing the bill uh, for all of this in in public schools, uh, of course. But even you know, in in Denver alone, two hundred languages uh, spoken, um, and, and they seem to you know really double down on this during this uh, school board meeting, uh, just really saying that that English is racist to be pushing this uh, on different different cultures and and to make them speak the language. Well, any language could be racist if the person speaking it is racist. It's like <laughs> I've I lived in Mexico for 2 years. I lived I grew up in Europe. I've heard racism in Germany, in German. I've heard racism in Spanish. I've heard racism in French. English doesn't have monopoly on racism. Racism has to do with what's between your ears, not what comes out of your mouth. And this uh the idea and you can see it Liz, it's always it's been this way from the beginning. It's we, you know, whatever's good for the children, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the children are being forced into second-class citizenship. The children are being forced to see themselves as other than their English speaking cast. So of course, instantly English is racist. Well, not if you learned English, 
but you're being told you don't have to so instantly well i don't speak that language that the majority speaks so they must be they must not love me they must, and that's the way a child would think an adult thinks oh i'm taking care of the children and the translator thinks oh i'm getting $75,000 a year for standing at the back of the room with my phone out right and yeah. it's from the government so it there's no every two weeks that direct deposit's going to hit and no one's going to care you know as long as you have your license proving that you can speak you know mandarins e- efficiently you know the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar and head of a dedicated think tank focused on promoting and preserving the Constitution of the U.S. Joe Wolverton is on with me as we talk about this language justice. Um, and, and there's a, an interesting part here about the policy statement in the Denver uh, Public School District talking about uh, DPS will be a district that is free of oppressive systems and structures rooted in racism and one which centers students and team members with a focus on racial and educational equity, enabling students to ultimately become conscientious global citizens and collaborative leaders. Great goal, um, <laughs> you know, but but you also kind of worry if a, if a school district like uh, Denver adopts something like this, you know, obviously this is a part of conversations in other, in other school districts as well. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're, you'll be required. Liz, it's not that, you know, we have to realize these things they are just percolating, right? We're always about 20 years behind our socialist brethren in, in England. And so it's not that this is just something silly out of Denver. This is something that will be required in the Minneapolis school districts, right? It, within a couple of years. It's not. And that's the thing. People don't realize that Yes, this is ridiculous, but this is the ridiculous that's going to be mandated in your school district in a couple of years. And we will have, you know, why didn't we fight this? Well, you could have the minute you heard Liz talking about it on the radio, but you didn't fight it. You just shook your head and, you know. You don't think it's happening. Another conspiracy theory. These people are crazy. You know, and I think the New American does a great job here pointing out, as a reminder, it says uh, that this article says, Equity has become a euphemism for officially sanctioned, usually anti-white discrimination, um, which is exactly what this is. Absolutely. It's just a it's a subversive way to paint, you know, English and white culture as other and oppressed because aren't we still oppressing you? We're, we're not letting you learn English. What is, what's going to happen when that person's 20 and in prison and says, well, I was never taught English in school. It's the fault of the school system. Well, then we're going to have to create new translation officers to help them learn English, a brand new program to let these kids as adults learn English in prison. Do you see it's all connected we prevent them from learning English in school because we're caring about them. And then when they get in prison, we provide English classes because we care about them. In this article, too, it says the district did not respond to an email seeking comment. Uh, and just the news says it's not clear how much such a policy would cost. And the district didn't provide details in the school board agenda packet of how to implement it. So we don't know how we're going to implement it. We have no idea how much it costs. This sounds uh, so strangely familiar to so many policies uh, we hear about. How dare you put a price tag on the children's happiness list? (laughs) You You conservatives and your it costs so much. Come on. You can't put a price on happiness of the 
children's language learning, Liz. Come on, have a heart. You conservatives and your questions. questions. You conservatives <laughs> and your logic. Yeah. Wow, just just wild. But but you're right. Uh, coming to a school district near you, uh, no doubt. So people need to be paying attention. Absolutely. It, it, it will come your way. You will have and no. who's going to stand up against it. Who's going to stand up and say no? Who's going to stand up and are no? Because you're going to be instantly labeled a what, boys and girls? A racist. That's right. You stand up and oppose this. You are instantly tagged a racist. And once you get that stink on you, you can't scrub it off. That's for sure. And Joe, with our final 10 seconds here, where can people find more on your work? Give us a plug. Oh, just at thenewamerican.com is where I usually publish stuff. And you can see my uh, TikTok channel, Joe Wolverton JD, and Instagram, the same name, I think, or maybe Joe Wolverton, the number two, something like that. Well, again, Joe Wolverton, thank you so much. Have a great week, everyone. You too, Liz. Thank you. Thank you.